Calling all aspiring podcasters. This is your sign to start your own podcast because we have just the right tool for you. Before we started podcasting, we really thought that everything would be such a hassle, especially the editing. But we found the best and the most convenient all-around podcast tool out there, Podmachine. Podmachine will take care of all your podcasting needs from audio production, designs, and marketing and growth. All you have to do is sit back, relax, and keep creating great content that sounds professional. It's time for you to start sounding like a pro with Pod Machine today. Sign up and get a free episode trial. And once you're convinced of how good it can be like and how it's helped us, you can start for as low as only $49.99 for four episodes in a month. But wait lang mga madam, if you use our code Camp Confidence, you get one free episode credit upon subscribing. Just head on to podmachine.com and let them do the dirty work so you can do the fun stuff and sound like a pro. Yeah. So I did my research because like the internet has everything and I started uh, reshaping my social media environment by following body positive models, plus size models, models that look like me, like in terms of mm-hmm. my body type. That was where I realized that, oh, there's a good way. There's a good way of like learning to love myself. And social media has played such a huge role with that. We are all a work in progress. That entrepreneur you look up to, that model you follow on Instagram, and that professor in charge of your grades. Even though it's easy to forget, the most confident, prolific, and successful of people are all works in progress as well, much like you and me. Here in Camp Confidence, we try to get into the nitty-gritty of that theory by talking to inspiring go-getters not only to marvel at their success, but to unravel the pains, challenges, and the reality underneath too. So how did they go from point A to point B? Shall we begin? We shall. Hey guys, welcome back to Camp Confidence. My name is Ayin Bernos and I am your host, writer, producer, and interviewer for this show. For today's episode, episode 3, we will be chatting with Justine Daniel and she is more famously known as at Perks of Justine on Twitter. That's how we met actually. She is a mental health advocate currently a teacher and she also topped the psych boards last year so I I can't believe she's 21 but during our conversation I got a lot of good stuff out of her some really good gems we talked about social media how it affects us how we can be more mindful about how we use it but before we go to our conversation with her I just want to check in with the members over at Facebook com slash group slash camp confidence we have a little facebook community there where we can share our passion projects our progress get feedback and also promote so i have a little thread there that's ongoing at the moment and i just want to read a couple of entries before we start with our conversation so first up we have trixie Kilon. some photo dump that i have for film it's more of an interest and passion page of mine I'm into film photography lately, and I post some photos from my roles here. I share old photographs of my parents and some snippets that they took too. On Instagram, this is called at, I was going to say sunkissed. It's at moonkissedfilm. 
If you guys have any suggestions, recommendations, tips about film photography, I would love to hear it. You can also join our group. Maybe you should open a discussion about that on there because I really want to get into it. I just don't know anything about it, but maybe I'll do my research. Okay, next we have Tisha Ann Ambal. She says, working on the sustainable collection of my crochet side hustle. I'm very passionate about this because I feel like it's time, it's, it's the best time to merge fashion and sustainability because of the state of our planet. Plus, I guess more people are more aware and more open about this topic. As consumers and as businessmen and businesswomen, we should be more mindful about how we source our materials and how we, how we make them. Even me personally, I want to get more involved with the production part of my business too. So it's great that you're doing this. You can check her out at, at why not craft on Instagram. It's Y as in W-H-Y-K-N-O-T craft. Up next is Sap Go. She's a friend from university. I've been reviewing and sharing my thoughts about different makeup and skincare products. This makes me happy because I get to have a creative outlet and at the same time be able to help out other ladies. Her Instagram is at goglowgo underscore. Her makeup posts are really informative and honestly compared to mine, hers is just amazing because she talks about the products in depth and that's not something I can say about my beauty tutorial. So if you're a viewer of mine and you want to get really helpful insights about makeup, then you should probably go to her page and not mine. <laughs> Second to the last, we have Morgan Lim. More of a professional project, but I've been accepted as a Freshie ambassador for my uni and I'm so glad to be able to help my fellow freshies adjust to the college life. High school for me was just really lonely, clicky, and lots of social ladders, and I wanted to let, let go of it by doing something that would help others not feel the same way I did back in high school. That's really awesome because college is such a difficult time, especially when you're just starting out. You've known the same people for 12 years of your life and you want to and you're stepping into this whole new world. And for a lot of people, it can get really lonely. So I really admire students who go out of their way to welcome those freshies. I mean, God knows I was one of them too, and it was kind of difficult, even though I am a little more on the extroverted side. Last up, we have Ina Ina. She says, I'm working on gaining experiences in the development sector, in particular with project monitoring and evaluation, and finding ways or strategies to improve my self-esteem and productivity. So if you're listening, then you're in the right place. You're in the right Facebook group. And I hope that you get something out of this, especially for this episode that we will be having with Justine Daniel. So without further ado, shall we begin? We shall. Okay. Hi, Justine. Hello. Welcome to Camp Confidence. Thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Like, I'm very surprised and flattered. So <laughs> if you guys don't know, Justine is actually, actually, we met through Twitter. Yeah. And YouTube. Basically, mm -hmm. the internet. Yeah. But formerly, she was known as Perks of Justine. On Twitter until I got suspended. 
Yes, re- quite recently, actually. Yeah, very quite recently. It's like, it's been a week, I think, since I got suspended for tweeting something very irresponsible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's still silly to me. But yeah, here's the new beginnings. But because of her Twitter account, she has kind of grown her following and has become a mental health advocate, right? Yeah. On the internet. So for today, we're going to be talking about that, answering a bit of, you know, uh, questions from the Camp Confidence community on Facebook. But before that, so since this is Camp Confidence, I want to ask you if you've always considered yourself confident. And if so, what were you like as a child? I honestly, if I were to really be, you know, frank, my confidence is just a year old. Even if I started working on my self-esteem in 2017, like after I spiraled down during my college life, like I I wasn't always this audacious. I was like growing up, I was very introverted, like having grown up in an all-girls school where looks were pretty much everything. Being an, being an overweight kid who was only just smart and had her whole identity anchored on her academic performance it was it made me one-dimensional in a way that I only felt worthy or I only ever felt important whenever I didn't boil in school and that really affected me growing up because all I had was my academics so that's where I focused on from elementary to high school that was where I felt confident. But in other aspects, with my relationship with myself, with my friends, with my family, it wasn't really content for me. It was very challenging because, you know, the fact that I did not know who I was outside academics, that really made me think that, oh, what do I want to do? So I vowed to myself in university, like once I entered the streets of España, I would really try to put myself out there. So It was a challenge first year to third year of college. I was really struggling to figure out who I was and like, how can I be happy with myself? And my body image was such a huge factor because I always felt like as a plus size woman, I always felt like, oh, people are going to look at me for my body first before they would like to talk to me. So despite being mestiza, which was which is a privilege, I acknowledge it, it <laughs> is a privilege that, you know, I'm not that kind of person who's like already overweight plus morena. That's that's a whole nother experience. That's a whole another struggle. But, mm. you know, I had this positive thing of being mestiza. It wasn't as bad as others experienced. So... I started working on myself like physically and it was actually done in vain. So it was this point in my life where I felt like in order to be liked by others, I had to slim down. I had to conform to traditional beauty standards. And it was after it was after that episode of my life that I figured that I I, I can never be happy if, you know, if I don't develop really healthy habits with myself. So. That's what led to a year old confidence. So it's just very recent. So I get really surprised when people are like, "You're so yabang," and I'm like, "No, girl. <laughs> have you met? Internet have you, you? Yeah, have you met sixteen year old me? She's not. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. 
And I find it weird that people equate confidence to yabang. Or to yeah, it's, it's because like when you grow up, like mm-hmm. as a girl, you're always taught that you have to be humble, you have to be quiet, you have to wait for people to praise you in order to validate that praise and be like, yeah, you can't own it. It's always yeah. like it, it should be given to you. You're, you're not supposed to claim it yourself. And it's very sexist. Because men yeah. are yeah, applauded. Yeah, <laughs> men are applauded for like owning it even if they don't have it. Like exactly. what? <laughs> what about us women who actually have it? Like it's crazy. That's good. So what was the turning point for you, you think? It was when I tried to lose weight in 2016. I, re- I was on a very restrictive diet. I would wake up at 4 a.m. to exercise Jesus. for an hour. And like I do a hundred crunches, a hundred squats. It was it was a very screwed up routine. Mm-hmm. And then I had the seven a.m. classes, and then I would just eat a sandwich, biscuits, and then no dinner, and then work out again when I get home. I had I had like night classes as well, and that really screwed things up because the the weighing scale was telling me you're not losing anything, like nothing's happening, and I was very miserable. And I was like. Do I really want to be this miserable for the rest of my life? Yeah. So I did my research because like the internet has everything. And I started uh, reshaping my social media environment by following body positive models, plus size models, models that look like me, like in terms of mm-hmm. my body type. That was where I realized that, oh, there's a good way. There's a good way of like learning to love myself. And social media has played such a huge role with that. That's good because a lot of people think social media is something that would actually destroy your image of yourself. Yeah. But at the same time, it's also a conscious decision to feed yourself with good Mm -hmm. content. So that's good. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about your background just for our listeners' sake? Well, I graduated from the University of Santa Tomas in 2018 with a degree of BS Psychology. I am a licensed psychometrician, having recently passed the board exam last year. And currently, I work at an international school in Pasig as a junior high school teacher. I'm set to teach this weird subject called life skills. It's kind of like <laughs> values education, but, but without the religion part. So I'm very excited for it. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. So uh, before we go to our community questions, which we asked, so on Facebook, mm-hmm. we asked our members if they had any questions about social media and mental health, which will, will be our topic for the day. I want to ask you if you've had any definitive experiences growing up that turned you into the mental health advocate that you are today. I don't have any experience at all. Like, there weren't any moments in my childhood, which I'm thankful for, yeah, that were, good. like, <laughs> that were, like, traumatic, mm-hmm. that motivated me. Now, oh, I want to yeah. I wanna advocate for mental health. Like, the first experience that I had with suicide was when I watched this show called ER. It's kind of like Grey's Anatomy, but I think it's less popular here. And this episode was about a trans woman, like this was way back 2006 I watched that episode it was about a trans woman who felt like it was too late for her to be a woman and she was a black trans woman in that episode and she ended up jumping off a building because she felt like she would never truly be happy even if Mm -hmm. she gets treated by her doctors and that was my first exposure to suicide and it was highly stigmatized so when I watched that 
I remember my Lola saying that it was something bad, that suicide was bad. And having grown up in a very religious background, having studied in Catholic schools for my whole life, I was always taught the idea that suicide is bad, that it's wrong. But when I entered university, when I learned about psychology, I was taught that people who are suicidal are actually people who need help, that drug addicts aren't criminals, that depressed people aren't attention-seeking. That made me realize that this is something that I need to share to the world. And it kind of like grew gradually. It wasn't something that I always knew I wanted to do. It was an eventual discovery and a very serendipitous one. If it weren't for the professors I encountered, if it weren't for my friends' personal experiences, I would have never made an effort to like really advocate for mental health. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> That's good, because at least you're coming from a place, I mean, not only did you study this, actually, mm-hmm. but also, like, on a personal level, it's something that yeah. you truly care about. Okay, so now moving on to the questions from our Facebook group. The first one is from Mike Wanko. She asked, she's asking for tips on how to use social media in a more intentional way. I did see the tweet about this, like, don't oh. delete social media. Use it more intentionally. Yes, I shared that yeah, too. Yeah, <laughs> I saw that tweet and I was like, yeah, I bookmarked it. And mm-hmm. I agree that you don't have to necessarily delete social media. You just have to filter it out. What we fail to acknowledge in social media is that we have so much power mm-hmm. with our profiles. Yes. Like, you go on Twitter, you can follow and unfollow whoever you want to. You can go on YouTube, you can search for whatever kind of content that you want. And people tend to underestimate this power that we have. So if I were you, it's helpful to really filter out your following list, your likes on Facebook. And every now and then, because what I do is that quarterly in a year, I really go through my following and I, I evaluate each profile. I'm like... Is this profile relevant to me? Is this helping me grow? Are their insights healthy for me? Does it help me see the world in a different perspective? Or are their posts very degrading? Are they offensive? Are they uh, are they hurting me in a way that affects my mental health badly? And if I think that, you know, they have to go, I unfollow them. Worst case is I block them so that I never get to see them again. <laughs> So these are just a few ways that we can use it more intentionally. Also, I use Instagram more often now. And a lot of people say that Instagram is like the place of perfection and all that. But I have discovered the therapy, the therapy side of Instagram. I follow this account called The Holistic Psychologist. And she's got a bunch of other accounts so like the more I like her photos Mm -hmm. the more I like her posts on therapy shows up on the more she shows up on my feed and when I check my explore page I get to see more related posts so it's all about you know hacking the algorithm and making sure that you interact with posts that you want to see more often because the more you interact with posts like models who look like very skinny and very unrealistic not that I'm shaming them or anything but sometimes it really triggers you in a way so Mm -hmm. you should really uh, put your energy and put your likes into posts that you want to see more often because that's what's going to show up more. Yeah, I I always found it interesting how a lot of people would say that social media is bad for you mm-hmm. or social media 
isn't good for your mental health. But at the end of the day, what we don't really see is that behind social media are people. Yeah. So it's not like social media just showed up yeah. and decided mm-hmm. to be that bad for be us. Bad. Yeah. So, yeah, we do have power over mm-hmm. it. And as someone on social media, as a follower, and as someone who con- creates content, I think it's our job to, yeah. to feed ourselves the right uh, content yeah so. social media in itself isn't bad it's the way that we use it it's the way that and we use honestly it. the way that we use it is reflective of our mental state because mm-hmm. before i got suspended on twitter <laughs> i was very like more makalat than usual it mm-hmm. was something that i was aware of but didn't want to like really confront i was i, I was like i knew and then the posts really reflected how i viewed myself like i didn't want to admit that i was makalat but you know, deep inside and looking back, I realized that, oh, this is not, this is not good. And it's really all about how you view yourself and how good you are doing mentally. Cause like, it's really going to show whether you like it or not. Yeah. Okay. So our next question is also from Mike Wanko. How do you stay mentally healthy in this hustle culture and or staying mentally healthy without escaping your responsibilities. This is what I tell a lot of college students who ask me this exact question. Stop glorifying hustle culture. Mm-hmm. A lot of people our age are like, oh, I'm 25. I'm a, I'm a successful businesswoman. I'm like this. I'm like that. Did you see that tweet? Na parang, oh, I'm 25, regis- registered chemist. Ikaw. And then people started oh co-tweet- really? co-tweeting it. And they were like, Oh, I'm 29 with a PhD under my belt, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, this reinforces this idea that we have to go, that, you know, that we have to go after what we want as early as we can so that, you know, we have, that there's something to take pride in in ourselves. And that's so unhealthy because it disregards individual differences. It disregards the fact that we have to take things at our own pace. We have to take into account how we view ourselves, the privileges that we have, and who else needs us? Because like you can't be that selfish and pursue what you want. A lot of us are middle class people who, you know, have to consider our younger sisters, our brothers, our families who need our support and all that. So it's important that you take it at your own pace if you have the privilege. Mm-hmm. And if you, in case you don't, don't pressure yourself or don't feel bad if you have to take this certain job to make both ends meet. Because there's no shame in taking on these kinds of careers. People will question you. That's part of life. But you have to realize that true success is when you learn to accept the fact that good things take time for you. You have to really be accepting of that. Because Mm -hmm. once you learn that you have to hustle and consider your flow, your own flow, your own pace, that's when it becomes easier to like, go on to the next goal and go and set bigger goals for yourself because if you keep constantly comparing yourself to other people then it becomes hard then you feel like you have to compete but when you compare yourself to who you were yesterday if you Mm -hmm. only consider yourself as your competition it becomes easier because like it's easier to become better than who you were yesterday so that's basically it and besides, we're all a work in progress. Yeah, so that's what you always say. You reach that milestone mm-hmm. that society accepts. Mm-hmm. It's still, you know, you still won't any feel any different. Yeah. You're always going to look for more things to do. Yeah. There's always yeah. more things to achieve. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's accepting that wherever you are in life, 
Yeah. As long as you're moving mm-hmm. even a little bit. Then again, being busy all the time doesn't mean you're always productive. That's, that's true. That's what that's I learned. So that's true. what bullet journaling helped me I realize. Love bullet journaling. Like it helped me realize that oh, just because I'm doing all these tasks doesn't mean I'm productive. Are these tasks helping me get to a near point to my goals? Like you have to mm-hmm. really think about it as well. So I'm so glad bullet journaling exists. Yeah, and also. You know, being productive, mm-hmm. sometimes that also includes resting. I yeah. think rest is so productive. Rest is part of the whole thing. Like when you exercise, you need to have your rest day so that your muscles can recover. Yeah. In mm-hmm. school, you can't always like bring home, you can't always have homework and all that because then you wouldn't be mentally prepared for the next week. When you work, you can't always bring home your work yeah. during the weekends unless like you're like a freelancer or something. But then like again, even then. Then, even then, right? You have to rest and you have to like allow yourself to really take a break first. Think of nothing at all because a lot of us tend to worry so much. I feel bad for other young people who are like starting out with their goals and stuff and they feel bad when they rest. They, they always tell me, I feel so guilty for resting. And I'm like, no, you're, you're not supposed to feel bad because it's a way to help you, you know, recover and recharge because you need that in order to like jump higher the next time yeah it took me a really long time to accept that resting is something that i should do especially as a freelancer i feel like i have to bring home my work otherwise i'm not that productive and because i do work from home now yeah like there's there isn't any boundaries for me so now i need to mindfully allow myself Time to work and time to rest Mm -hmm. and not feel guilty about it. Also because I feel like the more guilty I am, the less I can do. Yes, exactly, exactly. Busy beating myself up. Yeah, and the thing about being a content creator, especially what I noticed on YouTube and on Twitter and Instagram, is that you always have to be active or else what will happen is that you might lose followers and all that. It's (laughs) so hard to seek external validation. So it's really important that you know who you are before delving into such kind of career. Okay, the next question is from my friend Kyla Go. What's your stand on people deleting social media for their mental health? And how do you use social media to better your mental health instead of deplete it? One of the new hirees of my school, she shared to us a fact about herself is that she has no Facebook, no Twitter, no Instagram. She, she's not on social media, but she does have Viber, like the messaging apps. And okay. we were like, why? why? Why aren't you on social media? She was like, oh, my husband read this book on how social media is like a tool of capitalism because it gets your information and all that. And that can be used against you. You were like, wow. So how do you like document things and all that? And she's like, I keep personal stuff. Like, I don't share it to the world. I just keep it for myself. And if there are people who want to meet up with me, I just message them on WhatsApp or on Viber. And that was really surprising considering that a lot of us were just young people. Like, listening to her, we were like, wow, how did you do that? I personally would never be able to delete (laughs) social media because I'm a Gen Z girl. So... I You're a Gen, Gen Z, Z girl? Because millennials are until like 1995 or 1996. How 1996. Old are you? I'm 21. 
What? I, I just turned 21 in April. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I knew you just graduated, but I didn't realize you were 21. Mm-hmm, but yeah, I'm 21. Wow. <laughs> anyway, going back, um, I could never delete it because mm-hmm. like, I grew up in the information age where social media has really helped. What I can suggest, though, is to use it more intentionally because... If if you can, yeah. go, by all means, go delete social media. You will liberate yourself. You will feel much, much lighter and more. And you have more time to do whatever it is that you want to do in life. But if you're like me, who's like kind of dependent on social media because of how I grew up with it, it's just really important to use it more mindfully and to be really critical of the way that you use it it's important to step back first and think to yourself wait is this post going to benefit me in the long run is this something that i can say offline Mm -hmm. is it good for my mental health if i share my rants about my significant other or is it something that i can resolve offline first Mm -hmm. it's very important to ask yourself these guide questions because you know Social media itself, like we said earlier, it's not bad. It's just the way that we use it. So it really helps to evaluate yourself and assess what kinds of behaviors you're engaging in that are reinforcing the idea that social media is bad. What I noticed personally was why social media was getting bad for me was because I kept making patal to these curious cat people. I kept calling people out on Twitter. And and even if I was educating them in a way, I was also reinforcing this idea that I'm some kind of know-it-all, that I'm some kind of authority, even if I'm not. And that really made me think twice and really made me learn to be more careful. So I'm glad that Twitter suspension happened. What a blessing in disguise. (laughs) Yeah, honestly. For me, I would sometimes delete my apps just because I need to Mm -hmm. rest. I don't, I mean, because I work on social media, I can't really and just disappear. And that's a disappear. huge challenge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You get this FOMO. <sighs> yeah. I can't just disappear. But I think it really helps not to have access to it all the time. Because having the, all the apps on your phone. I mean, I can't delete Instagram because that's the only way you can pretty much use Instagram. Mm-hmm. But Twitter, for example, I I don't have it on my phone. Because I feel like the more I have access to it, the more I'm ten- tempted. Yeah. So I read something about willpower being overrated Mm -hmm. so sometimes it's easier to just plan so you don't have to use your willpower at all so for me not to use my willpower on social media I just deleted Twitter altogether because I don't want to be so dependent that I need to that I feel like I need to always you know share my thoughts and my rants and my problems on Twitter even though Yeah. yeah that's what it's for but I want to be more mindful for it uh, about, mm-hmm. about it. So now that I am, and it's been a couple of months since I started doing that, I feel like now I'm in a better mental state too mm-hmm. because I'm just farther from people, which yeah, is nice. It's... And if people really need me, then I have my email, my DMs, my messenger. Of course. So, yeah. yeah. It's very helpful. Like a good amount of isolation is key. Yeah. I mean, it's so tempting to stay connected all the time, but do we really need that? Yeah, not really. Okay, from Abigail Buke, my question would be, what are your general guidelines in building personal boundaries online, especially as an online persona? 
online personas and you're trying to build a brand and something like that? I think, no, you, well, us or who you having are a following. Having a following. Like, that's very dangerous. I really try to be authentic online, which is why I get the I get these rants. Like yeah. I let I let myself out that mm-hmm. way. Cause it's for me, yeah, it's very dangerous to have a an alter ego online. Like a lot of people tend to act in a certain way when in fact they're far from who they, it's far from who they are offline. So that online persona it's kinda it's kinda tricky. But with regards to setting personal boundaries online, again, you have to interact with posts that you like to see more often because it really helps. Because the more, it's it's all about reinforcement. Mm-hmm. The more that you see a certain post, the more you interact with it, comment on it, the more likely the algorithm of whatever social media platform you're using will show more of those. So if you're constantly interacting with very upsetting posts, with posts that are always angry, you're going to see more of that. So it's important to reserve your energy for liking posts that help you feel better about yourself. I'm not saying that you have to completely forget about checking the news, mm-hmm. checking Facebook comments and everything else. It's just that there has to be, it has to be regulated. So if you feel like local news is depressing enough, just allow yourself 10 to 15 minutes of keeping yourself updated so that you don't stay in your bubble of privilege. Yeah. But then again, you also have to save your mental energy for other things that can help you better yourself so that you can help others as well. So it's all about the way that you use social media. And just because there's this popular post that's problematic doesn't mean that you should also interact with it because... Sure, you may come from a place that wants to educate this person, but if it comes at the expense of ruining your day or if it comes at the expense of making you feel bad about yourself, then I don't think that it's worth interacting with anymore. You can just block the person who that's tweeting or that's posting these negative stuff. We tend to underestimate the power of the block button. Like, I you know, love there's, the block Because there are like a lot of people saying that, oh, when I get blocked, I'm the one who wins. Because like, you know, napikon siya or something. And I'm like, no, that's not, not really. how we should, that's not how mm-hmm. we should approach it. So use the mute block button. They're very helpful. Yeah. For me, I, I had Curious Account. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had Curious Cat, sorry. Yeah. I had that account. But then things started getting very heated especially for my haters what's up uh and i realized that i didn't really have to open myself up Mm -hmm. to everyone yeah you don't owe it to them yeah being a content creator doesn't mean i have to live my life openly i mean i'll talk about things that matter to me i'll talk about issues that i care about but i don't think it's up to people to decide what i do with my life who i talk to who i date so for me personal boundaries My, you know, I get to say what I share. I get Mm -hmm. to decide what I share. For me, I don't share a lot about my personal family life, my dating life, for example. I don't share photos of boyfriends or whatever. (laughs) Especially since I learned it the hard way that it's much easier to deal with your personal stuff privately rather than publicly. So, yeah, that's one of my general guidelines, at least. But for the most part, I just use social media like a normal person would not not 
that different from yeah and mm-hmm. don't treat it like a diary honestly oh yeah no like it's helpful to share your realizations after you've processed your emotions properly but to use social media to help yourself process that certain emotion that you're feeling because mm-hmm. like if you're for example you're upset with another person Subtweets won't help you resolve things with them. You have to learn conflict resolution with them so that, you know, you get to actually fix things. Because ranting online isn't going to help. You're going to get retweets. Yeah, sure, people are going to relate to you, okay? But at the end of the day, will you be able to resolve that problem with that person? No, that's only going to add fuel to the fire. Especially with relationships. What I don't understand is when, you know... A couple would fight on Twitter oh, without no. mentioning each other. So I'm oh, like, no. if you can't yeah. communicate this problem with them, why are you together? I find it odd, really. Mm-hmm. Like, if you can't talk to your significant other, how is everything yeah. working out? But, like, a different case would be, like, abuse or cheating cases. Uh, when people expose their exes who cheated on them, who abused them. I feel like social media is used right because our justice system is pretty whack like if you try to report about Mm -hmm. abuse you're going to let the victim relive their trauma and that's very hard as someone who has witnessed abuse firsthand Mm -hmm. like it's very hard to go to authorities because they're gonna question you and they're gonna make you second guess yourself and that's very challenging so especially here in the yeah so we shouldn't judge people who use twitter threads to expose their harassers in fact we should support them and encourage them Mm -hmm. to seek help okay the next question is from dana praise guerrero thoughts on social media cleansing as a distance learner who can't help but be online how could i best improve my mental health well Just limit your social media use. I think that's important. So as a distance learner, you're not supposed to be on Facebook. Unless there's a Facebook group, then limit your usage to keeping up with the posts there. What's a distance learner? A distance learner is someone who uses uh, the internet to learn. Because I know UP... online classes? Yeah, online Ah. classes. Uh, I think UP Open University is an an example of distance learning. They have distance Mm -hmm. education. So... It's usually uh, pursued by yuppies, like working people who don't have time to go to grad school anymore. So they have like a bunch of programs. So with regards to social media cleansing, I think a healthy way would be to do it slowly, not limit it altogether in a parang. You have to go off social media for one whole week. That's that's hard. Like, especially if you use it every day, it helps to cut it back little by little. So limit yourself to like, for example, you use social media for like four hours a day. Make it three hours a day. And then try to go one whole day without social media at all. And then make those off days more often. It's very, it's a very tedious process, but it's also very helpful because... If you quit it altogether, it's going to mm-hmm. be easy to relapse. It's easy to worry and be like, oh, I'm missing out on so many things. I'm worried that, you know, my friends have forgotten about me. I'm not updated with the memes anymore. I don't know mm-hmm. stuff anymore, like, about online pop culture. 
So it's very, it's very, very, very important. Like I cannot stress this enough because like people ask me this question a lot of the time too. So take it real slow and don't pressure yourself to quit social media 100% because that's not going to help at all. Yeah. And I think it's more than just quitting social media. It's more finding hobbies in the real world that will distract you from being online. Because I find that personally, I'm on social media when I have nothing to do. When I'm in bed, when it's my, I don't know, weekend rest day and I'm on social media just entertaining myself. But if I have something else to do, especially offline, mm-hmm. if I have, I don't know, a fitness class yeah, or exactly. hiking or meeting my friends, when I'm doing something, I try to be present. So when you're out doing something in the real world, try to get off your phone and, you know, see the world for what it is. Yeah, and appreciate your friends while they're still there, while they're still not busy. Because, like, when you start working, I've come to realize yeah. that it's hard to keep up with, like, each other's lives, especially if you're not working together. So that's that's all I can give and contribute <laughs> to this. Yeah. As, a, as someone on social media, I really mm-hmm. feel like I appreciate human interactions more now so much because it's so much better than typing yeah. everything it's like real it's, it's helpful to type because there are thoughts that you can't really process. verbalize mm-hmm. but then again it's nothing beats the authentic conversations offline yeah because that's when you can see like non-verbal communication which is an important part of mm-hmm. like talking and all of that yeah it's all about balance mm-hmm. from eliza villamere what can you advise what can you advise people who are shy to share their thoughts and personal stuff on social media because they are afraid of getting shameful comments? Okay. I have to admit that I have taken part in this thing that we call call out culture. It's very popular on Twitter. Someone posts something like I hate burgers. Oh, so you hate cows, huh? It's kind of like that, <laughs> right? That's kind of like the the main premise of call-out culture. If you say something ignorant, people will come at you, insult you, make memes out of you. And this inhibits learning. This inhibits the desire to realize what, why, why am I wrong? Like, yeah. you know, when you shame a person for their ignorance, what happens is that you take away their opportunity to learn. And I feel like it's our collective responsibility to make call-out culture more empathic. Like, we have to be more kind and careful with the way that we call people out. Yeah. I, I myself, I haven't been the best person who calls out online. Like, I do admit I've been shady. I've been really <laughs> awful at it to the point where it contradicts with my advocacy that is mental health. Then again, there are people who just, you know, they shit post, and you have to know the difference between these. But for as long as you know that the things that you're sharing are harmless, if you have enough knowledge on it, which is really important, you have to know what you're talking about before sharing them online, then I don't think that there's anything to worry about. And it also helps to view criticism as an opportunity to grow. I have always been offended by criticism, like, I always get defensive. But now that I'm working with other people, I'm working with young people, and I'm realizing that I'm there's like I have so much to learn. It's important not to take it personally. So, for example, if you tweet something like, "Oh, I hate jeepney drivers" or something like that, and when someone corrects you that jeepney drivers are just very reckless with the way that they drive because their livelihoods are very 
tough and they don't get the same privileges that we do, then, you know, it becomes easier to really know why you're in the wrong. Because mm-hmm. if you just simply see it as, oh, this person is criticizing me because they want to embarrass me, that's going to inhibit your learning. So it's always important to separate yourself from your opinions. Because sometimes we identify so much with the things that we post that what happens is that when someone attacks your argument, it feels like a personal attack because you're so identified with whatever opinions that you have. And yes, it's respectable, it's powerful, it's admirable to, you know, to have such strong opinions. But you, at the end of the day, there are different perspectives that we have to take into account. So it's very important to learn to accept it in a way that, you know, that doesn't feel like ad hominem. Because yeah. at the end of the day, it's not about you. It's about the things that you post. So just make sure that there's a fine line between yourself and your opinions. Yeah. So those are about your thoughts. So if you want to share something, mm-hmm. that's it. But for personal photos, for example, personal your personal life, sharing mm-hmm. about it on social media, I feel like... It's not a bad thing. And if, for example, body shaming, Mm -hmm. skin color shaming, we all know how that feels like. But at the end of the day, it's opening ourselves up to the right people. If, for example, I I didn't have a really good experience with my high school, my high school circle. So it got to to a point where... I always felt like I was being judged for what I yeah. posted. I mean, I'm on YouTube. It's weird. It's it's a weird thing. Not a lot of people understand what we do. We talk to a camera. But I do it anyway because I, I love documenting it's my fun, life. Yeah. And I love sharing it. But people from high school don't know me as Ayin the YouTuber. People know me as Ayin, I don't know, the girl from high school. So I understand why for a lot of people it's weird. But to me, I just don't want that kind of energy Mm -hmm. around me anymore because I've gotten to a point where I love social media and I love YouTube and I'm gonna do it anyway so I just kind of unfollowed and you know I was very selective with how I interacted with people and especially when I I keep getting deliberate negative comments then bye it's that easy again we have so much power over our social media life and All we need to do really is use that power. Yeah. Next question from Eliza again. What are your thoughts on being in a state of burnout? I have a friend who is frustrated about her personal life and career and it it already affects both her mental and physical health. Been stressed for weeks, for a few weeks with all the pressure and I don't know what to, what advice to give her. Burnout. Burnout. I love that song. It's such a nice song from I'm Drunk, I Love You. But anyway, a lot of people tend to interchange burnout with stress. They think it's one and the same when in fact it's not. Stress is a psychological state of tension where you feel pressured to do something, where you feel pressured to deliver something, and it motivates you to actually pursue your goals and get things done. Whereas with burnout, it's the total loss of motivation. So if you feel like, oh, I have responsibilities, but I don't care if I don't accomplish them today, even if like the deadlines today, even if I might get scolded by my superiors, I don't care anymore. I feel worthless. That's when burnout strikes. Mm -hmm. And 
it's important that we know our stress levels because like there's only a moderate amount of stress that you have to experience in order to be productive because too little stress you get too laid back you don't grow as a person too much stress leads to burnout you break down constantly and you're not psychologically stable but a good amount of stress which is something that you decide for yourself is when you're most productive so know which priorities should be sorted out first don't jump after every single opportunity that you have because it's so easy to drown yourself in to-do lists and be like I'm gonna do this and this and this and this today but are you capable of it are your resources telling you that you can do it because these are things that we have to take into account it's not just simply going after what we want we have to also consider our energy levels we have to consider who can help us accomplish these kinds of things and we have to learn how to plan I mean, that's why Virgos are like the superior earth side. Oh my gosh, thank you. Honestly, Virgos are like the best people because like they know how to plan things. It's pretty ironic that as a psych major, I love astrology. Like I really appreciate astrology. Like do you you think there is truth to astrology as a psych major? Honestly, it's just for fun for me. But like, you know, I just, I just... I just participate in the whole astrology culture because, like, it's fun. <laughs> I also sometimes, I don't know, sometimes I feel like, am I doing Virgo stuff because I'm a Virgo? Mm-hmm. Or am I doing Virgo stuff because the internet tells me that Virgos do these things? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I pretty, I, I like, you mm-hmm. know, I, I like to think that I'm productive and organized yeah. and whatever. But am I doing it because I'm intrinsically yeah, like yeah. this? They're or? like archetypes. So <laughs> yeah. like, I don't mind. But like going back to the whole <laughs> burnout thing. It's just very important to plan. Learn to plan. Honestly, planning has saved my life in so many ways this year. Because if I didn't plan, I wouldn't have gone above and beyond. Because like there are things that I do spontaneously. There are things that I do without planning so much. But I'm learning to love the whole process of laying out everything and figuring out when do I need to accomplish this? How many days do I have to accomplish a certain task before jumping Mm -hmm. onto the next one? Because that helps me figure things out and that helps me gauge how much stress I need in order to become productive. So it's very helpful to plan. I think it also is important to be honest with yourself because sometimes uh, yeah you very think, much you think you can do it you yeah. think this is for you but at the end of the day if you i don't know reach into the depths of your truth mm-hmm. like what is it really that you want out of this why are you doing it and i mean if you have honest answers it's much easier to make decisions for yourself healthy decisions yeah. and decisions that will ultimately not allow you to burn out yeah i remember when i tried like losing weight before my goal was like to lose 20 pounds and that wasn't a smart goal because apparently you need to have smart goals like they have to be specific yes. measurable, measurable attainable, attainable realistic and I think. time time bound time, yeah. yeah time mm-hmm. based or something like that and when i learned to reshape my perspective on fitness like i want to run three kilometers i want to lift 50 pounds like on a deadlift or Mm -hmm. something that motivated me even more because I was viewing it from a strength perspective it wasn't because like it was for vanity purposes it was like learning to really love how powerful I get when I'm at the gym so it's very important to set very smart goals because like if you set vague goals you're gonna be like how 
am I gonna accomplish this? Where and it's do I much start? more overwhelming. Yeah, and you're like, you have no idea what to do next. So, yeah. I have a worksheet on the Facebook group of Cam Confidence. Oh, yeah, yeah, so if yeah, you want to yeah. check you that out, post about it. it's very extensive. And it really, I think it would help you plan if you don't know what exactly to yeah, plan. The Virgo jumped out. <laughs> the Virgo jumped out. From Yana Calope, Calope. Oh my gosh, I hate pronouncing words. <laughs> what are some ways to help loved ones on days they're struggling with their mental health? Okay, this is something, this is a question that I think is more you than me. Because mm-hmm. I honestly don't know what to do for the most part. Well, we have to really consider the most important fact is that our loved ones are not our responsibility. Like, they're not our sole responsibility. Because what I noticed with our generation, like millennials to to early Gen Z, is that we have the savior complex. Like, Hmm. when we see our friends and close uh, family members struggling, we automatically have this response that, I have to save you. I have to do whatever that I can in order to help you get out of this. And earlier on the way here to Ayin's house, we were talking about your boyfriend, your ex-boyfriend, right? <laughs> Who, I can share this, right? Well, this, yeah, yeah, but you know, so basically you kind of enabled behaviors in enable. him that were very toxic in your relationship. That's basically the, the whole gist of it. So yes, you did come with good intentions that you wanted to help him. You wanted to help him become his best self but if you start to do things for your loved ones if you don't teach them that this is what you have to do if you have to if you have to carry everything like let them take a rest or something that becomes detrimental not only to that loved one but also to yourself because then you're carrying burdens that you're not supposed to be carrying because yes sure you love the person you love your friends but at the end of the day you also have to leave some energy for yourself too so that's the first most important point. You have to realize that they're not your responsibility. You can only do so much. So when they're struggling with their mental health, it's always important to be physically present. If you can't be physically present, you have to at least make them feel that you really are interested in helping them out and listen to them. Ask questions, not just how are you. Ask like, hey, I noticed that you have been very down in the dumps lately. Do you want to talk about it? And often they're going to be like, no, I'm fine. And the conversation ends there. And then people don't know how to deal with these mental health issues. So it's important to gently press on and be like, okay, I know that it feels like you're not ready to talk about it. But if you are ready to talk about it, I'm always here. So that's kind of like a template for how to initiate a conversation on mental health. And eventually they will open up. And in case they don't open up still and you notice that their behavior still kind of different from their usual self it's important to confront them like hey nothing's really improving so far at least based on my perspective i really want to talk to this about i really want to talk about this with you so mm-hmm. do you do you mind and if you're lucky if the person's ready they will talk about it with you and it's always important that active listening is key and active listening is not just like saying mm, Uh uh-huh yeah yeah it's not just about that it's learning to paraphrase so that you can validate your emotions so like when you open up to me about for example your struggles as a morena i'm not just gonna sit here and be like "Mm -hmm, yeah Mm -hmm. oh so so you i have to rephrase it to make sure that 
I'm listening to validate your feelings like, oh, so you're struggling as a Morena because like this and like that. And it gives them this idea that they're not alone. That's a way of, because a lot of people explicitly say that, hey, you're not alone. And what? But, how does that help yeah, me? Yeah, what else? Yeah, so you have to actively listen and, you know, make sure that you repeat what they say, but like very subtly so yeah. that you don't, you know. Oh no, oh, no it started raining. raining. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Okay. All right, it's raining, so... So, yeah. So, yeah. Going back. (laughs) Going back. Okay, going back. We have to learn to rephrase so that we can validate what they're feeling when they open up. But don't constantly rephrase and everything. You have to know the timing of your rephrasing. So, like, at the end of the conversation, you have to go back through those points so that you remind them that you are listening, that you are here for them. And even if a listening ear is all you can offer it's still something that can help them. So those are just two things. Make sure that uh, you don't act like they're, that they're your sole responsibility. And at the same time, you have to actively listen when they open up to you. And if you have the resources to help them, offer those resources to them. Okay. When do you know when it's time to stop? To stop helping a person? Or to stop, like for example, if it's becoming detrimental to your health, do you just stop altogether or they don't take your advice? Well, we have to respect the fact that we can give them advice and all that, but it's their lives. We can't really <laughs> control them. Even if from our perspective, this is the right thing to do. Yeah. They know things about themselves that they didn't open up to us. We have to understand that. We have to come to terms with that fact. And people tend to ignore that. They're like, no, my way of, <laughs> my way is right. Like, I know this better than you do because I'm more objective. But there are other factors that we have to consider when they're opening, when they're opening up to us. So it's very important to just let them be. And when, it, when is it time to stop? I think it's when you feel like the relationship isn't worth it anymore. Because I have a hard time giving up on people like my loved ones, I'm very careful and I'm very loyal. So mm. as a Taurus. <laughs> oh, you're a Taurus. Yeah, I'm a Taurus. I'm an Earth sign. That makes sense. Oh, no, the some, Barnum some, effect. No, some of my best friends are Tauruses. Yeah, because like we're Earth signs. So mm-hmm. We get along. <laughs> so like anyway, so I don't easily give up on people, but I do give them space. So if I feel like, oh, they're not listening to me anymore, it's time not to interfere with their lives. But you know, I do my best to help them out and all that. And if they want to keep the friendship, it's on them. Like, the ball is in their court now. I, As long as I know that I did everything that I could to help them, then I'm all good. I don't need to follow up on them. They're not some kind of work that I have to email and be like, hey, what's up? What happened? Yeah, It's on them now. So I don't really... Like I said earlier, they're not my responsibility alone. So... If they want to open up to me about it, they can come to me. As long as I did everything, then it's all good. Okay. Next question, second to the last question actually, is from Eliza Marie Daton. What advice can you give people who mostly are basing their self-worth to the number of likes they receive? This was me like 2017 to early 2018. Like, my really? Twitter started growing and I was like, wow, I reached like 5,000 followers. And like, 
the things that I would tweet would just blow up and I'd be so surprised and I was like wow clout <laughs> you know yeah. it's so like as somebody who's like so young you get so easily caught up with these numbers and like you feel like oh I'm so powerful blah 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 and then people started calling me perks like out of nowhere perks of hey, hey perks and, like that kind of got to me to the point where I really identified with who I was online and that was kind of why I got more reckless because you know in order to keep up with Twitter culture in order to like keep the numbers growing and all that you have to stay active and sometimes you have to tweet things that aren't really you like you tweet things for clout as so they say but yeah. you know the whole mental health thing I actually do it genuinely that was when I discovered that this is how I can use my clout for good because at the beginning I was tweeting jokes and all that and people could relate <laughs> it was just that but then I realized that I have this passion for mental health I realized that there's an, a part of me that's not social media that I can use and share to social media to make social media a, a safer space for my mental well-being so that was when I learned to be more responsible then again call out culture was there and I participated in it so it wasn't healthy either so I had to like really find who I was I had to sort my priorities out and figure out like who am I without these likes who am I without these followers am I still happy with myself because if I wouldn't be happy without social media. Then what does that speak of my character? Because like, if you identify so much with the number of likes that you get, you're going to be pressured to keep posting, to keep sharing stuff to the point where you share very personal stuff. Like mm-hmm. I see some people, like they share literally everything about themselves. And I'm like, sweetie, no, that's like for the journal. Like you have to be really careful and set boundaries so that you don't get caught up in this idea that social media is everything because honestly it's not it's really kind of like it's kind of like three percent of what we've discovered in the ocean and like life is like the 97 percent that, that that we don't really know yet yeah. so yeah that's it and don't feel pressured when like you see in when you see your friends instagrams and like they've traveled the world or like they have 500 likes in like 10 minutes like, at the end of the day, these likers, they don't know these friends of yours That's personally. just people tapping yeah, on their phones. Yeah, just phone. people tapping mindlessly on their phones. And when you come to realize that, oh, when people view your stories, when they like your posts, they're doing it mindlessly often, you feel more at ease because they're not doing it because they really like you or they're really interested. It's just that because it's out of habit. So we don't have to pin so much significance to the numbers on the screen because at the end of the day we're more than those so that's pretty much it for me as a youtuber for a while i really you know i always based my worth as a youtuber on the number of views that i would get Mm -hmm. and then sometimes the content that i'm really proud of would not get as much views or likes or thumbs up or comments But then at the end of the day, you know, I always go back to, do I enjoy what I do? And do I like what I post online? And for the most part, the answer is yes. And it took me a long time, but Mm -hmm. now I can say that that's more than enough for me. Yeah. Because, you know, if you take YouTube, if for some reason there's an internet apocalypse and Instagram (laughs) is gone, Twitter is gone, YouTube is gone, who are you? Yeah, it's very important to like see it from a different perspective not just like on the numbers 
like numbers are pretty crazy. Numbers are numbers, yeah. and I don't like math. Mm. So. I hate math. <laughs> like my my brain really shuts down when I see numbers. Okay, our last question from the group is from Adrian Pangilinan. How do you draw the line between internet life and real life? Drawing the line. Okay, so like two personas. I'm guessing. I don't think you should like, really. It's very well. There's this theory that I remember in theories of personality, in my undergrad, where this theorist said that if you have, like, a different personality at home and it's way different from your personality at work, your personality isn't really complete or like Uh it's not really good because you're different here, you're different there. There's an inconsistency. You have to be consistent in every aspect of your life. Yeah, your attitude towards your friends may be different with your family life. But whatever you post online should be reflective of who you are offline. So I myself, I'm a mental health advocate. So when if I post stuff on mental health, I make sure that I try to walk the talk by reaching out to friends, engaging in activities that help me further that advocacy of mine so that, you know, I stay consistent. Because, like, you can be posting and you can be talking and you can be educating people online, but you do, you can, like, not live it offline. So it's very important to stay consistent because, like, who are you if these two parts of you are separate and, like, totally different? What are you trying to achieve? Are you trying to make people like you? Are you trying to make everybody like you? Are you trying to conform to standards that aren't really yours? Are you actually happy? Because like, I feel like the reason why there are people who are different online and offline is because they don't know who they are. Their sense of identity is really fragmented. And that's a sign that, you know, you have to learn to use social media more mindfully in order to really know who you are. Because I feel like if you know who you are as a person, it will show through and through, whether it be online or offline. So it's it's not about drawing the line. It's about setting boundaries that can help you use social media in a healthier way. Yeah. I feel like I'm also more at peace now that I'm authentic online. Mm-hmm. Because then I don't need to always be mindful about my consistency or yeah. who I am or branding. Because who I am online is just the same person as I am offline. And it's just that you magnify the good moments. Yeah. That's just it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But we have to reframe our thinking and not assume that just because we often post about the good things happening to us doesn't mean that that's all that's happening to us. There are bad things that happen, but we just choose not to share it. Because yeah. like social media is negative already. Like it has enough negativity already. And sharing our more our behind the scenes stuff isn't always that helpful. And it isn't always necessary because like, you know, these things are very personal and it can be taken against you, which is something that we can avoid. When looking at other people's Instagram accounts and blogs and YouTube videos, I think it's important to be mindful that these are, you know, highlight reels. But then when we look at ourselves, we also know that when we post good stuff and whatever, people think the same way. So at the end of the day, we're all just the same it's it's social media mm-hmm. and there are filters and there are there's so yeah, many filters uh, so many nuances that mm-hmm. a lot of people don't take into account when looking at this so 
yeah, reframing your perspective. Because that's the only thing you can do. You can't control what others post on social media. No, not at just, all. You can dictate. Just your, your perspective of it. So, Okay, so my last question for you is if our listeners could do one simple actionable thing now to become their best selves, what would you tell them to do? One simple actionable thing. Oh my gosh, I'm very vague as a person. So this is giving me... <laughs> actionable. Yeah, actionable, right? Start making to-do lists. Like, honestly, that has helped me figure things out. Like, listing down things I'd like to accomplish for the day. It helps me put things into perspective. Like, do I really want to waste three hours of my day using social media? Or how can I use those three hours more carefully or like more mindfully because I think listing down your responsibilities for each day helps you get to another better place more easily and another thing like with regards to our topic social media and mental health use social media more intentionally like don't don't quit it I mean if you want to go ahead by all means but if you want to be if you want to have a better experience on social media make sure that you follow people that make you feel good about yourself make sure that these people are realistic or honest with themselves because that has really helped me develop a better relationship with social media so two things <laughs> awesome thank you so much for being here today and thank you so much Aiden, for inviting me it's a dream come true That is it for my chat with Justine Daniel. If you guys want to check her out on social media, it's at JustDanny underscore or on YouTube, Justine Daniel. Thank you guys for listening and I hope to see you on the next one next week, Sunday, 7 p.m. See you guys soon and don't forget to stay confident. Bye!